First Timothy 2. Now, tonight we want to talk about prayers for the lost. And uh, really what it comes down to when it comes to prayers for the lost, uh, oftentimes people say, well, I just I don't know how to pray. You know, we've been asking you to think about who your one is. Now, I received, uh, I've got 174 names right now that I'm praying for, that you guys turned in cards. Now, I know not everybody turned in a card because that number would be a whole lot more, and that's fine. Uh, that's why the boxes are still up here. You can turn them in on Wednesday, turn them in on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Whenever you want to turn them in, we're going to check the boxes weekly. Uh, I'm going to keep a tab of those so that I can be praying for them. And I also ask you to write your name on that card as well. And the reason being is um, I want you to be able to come back and share with me uh, what's been going on, how you've been praying for that, that one that you have, how you've shared the gospel with them. Uh, and I especially want you to come and tell me when you lead them to the Lord. And so uh, I'm going to be praying for you uh, each and every week. I'm going to be praying for your one, praying for you as you reach out to them. So uh, I hope that by the end of it, by the end of January, that's when we're going to take up the boxes. But by the end of January, I'm hoping uh, to have to be praying for about eight, 900 people. And um, so I hope everybody will take it sincere, find their one, put it in a box so that we can be praying for them. But really, when it comes to praying for the lost, the passage in Second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 kind of gives us this depth. And it says this, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So we need to be praying for everybody. But in particular, we need to be praying for those that don't know the Lord. We need to be praying in particular for our leadership, for those in authority. Uh, but we need to be praying for those that are lost. And so tonight I want to give you six things uh, we need to be praying for the lost. And really, it's a real simple acrostic. If you can remember the word hearts, you'll be able to remember how to pray for lost people. And so we're going to use the acrostic hearts, and you'll see it as we go through each point as the letter is outlined so you can see exactly how you need to be praying for those that are lost. Uh, so the first thing that we're going to be praying for is we pray that God will open their hearts to believe. That God will open their hearts to believe. In fact, there's a couple of passages we're going to look at about that. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. It says this, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural man, those that are not in Christ, those that are not in a spiritual relationship with God, he says they don't understand these things. They don't understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto them, and they can't know them. And so we're praying that God will open their hearts so that they can understand them. I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody that wasn't a Christian, and, and they just kind of look at you sometimes dumbfounded. They kind of look at you like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And the, to be honest with you, a lot of times that's because we use what's called Christianese. You guys ever heard of Christianese? We, we use language that nobody in the world understands except us, all right? Because you say the word saved, and they're going, saved from what? You know? Uh, you use certain words like regeneration, and they're going, I don't need to be recharged, you know, so we use certain words in a different manner. And so oftentimes they don't grasp it. They don't understand it. So we're praying that God will open their hearts to be able to hear us as we speak to them. Second Corinthians 3, verses 14 and 15. 
But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses read, the veil is upon their heart. Now, I'll be honest with you. A lot of times people don't understand why people that don't know Christ don't want to go to church. I've had people that come into the church, they don't know Christ, and they sit back and they wonder, why do you guys do what you do? Why are you singing songs to an invisible God? You know, why are you listening to a guy stand up there and talk to you for 30 minutes about how you need to get things right in your life? Why, why do you do these things? And so they sit back and they're spiritually blind to those things because Satan has placed a veil over their heart that can't be rendered asunder. Now, when you use the word veil, you got to look at the Old Testament tabernacle. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, there was a veil that was put between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. And the only one that could go beyond the veil was the high priest once a year. And he still had to fill a censer full of incense that would cover it in smoke before he'd go in and make his sacrifice. Because entering into the presence of God. In other words, the veil kept them separated. So you need to understand that there's a veil over their heart that is keeping them separated from God. So when we're praying that God will open their hearts, we're praying that God will remove that veil so that they will be available to understand the things of God. Let's be honest. How many of you sit back sometimes and you sit in church and you think, I don't understand what he's talking about? Anybody ever done that? You ever sat there and you said, man, that preacher, I don't know what he was talking about that night. That just went right over my head. All right. I've heard people say that. I've heard things like that happen. And a lot of times the reason why it can go over some people's head is because their hearts are veiled to those truths. Now, sometimes it's just guys that like to use big, long words. I had a pastor one time that I heard, and he was using these massive words, and he wouldn't explain it to the people at the church. And I'm sitting here going, dude, nobody's hearing what you're saying. But a lot of times the reason why it's veiled is because we don't have that spiritual understanding. And so we need to pray that God will open their hearts to believe. Secondly, we need to pray that God will open their eyes to see and their ears to hear. In the book of Acts, chapter 26, and verse 18, Paul is giving his testimony there before Agrippa. And he says this, he says, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You ever thought of the fact that they are blinded to the truth? They're blind to the ideas of the things of God. Now, you think about this. He said to turn them from darkness to light. How many of you have ever gotten up in the middle of the light and the middle of the night and there was no light in your room? Anybody ever have that happen? How many of you hit something? I mean, if you kick something, I mean, you ran into your dresser, all right? That happens. In other words, getting up in the pitch dark, even if you can see, it's almost as if you're blind because you can't see the things around you. If you've been asleep and all of a sudden you wake up and you're trying to get your eyes adjusted with no light, it's almost impossible and you're bound to run into something. That's what he's talking about here is these people are in darkness, They are blinded to the things of God. Their eyes have not been opened. They've not been unveiled. They can't see. So you can talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, but they can't see. It's always interesting to me. I remember, uh, I think it was uh, sharing Jesus without fear. As a guy talked about it, he said whenever he shares the gospel, he would actually give them the Bible and have them read the passage of Scripture. He wanted them to see it for themselves. 
Well, the Bible clearly teaches they can't see unless God has opened their eyes. So you can give them the scriptures all they want. I've seen a lot of people who are lost that try to read the Bible and say, I just don't get it. Well, you're not going to get it because until God opens the veil of your eyes so that you might see the spiritual truth, you won't understand. So we're praying that God will open their eyes to see. We're praying for him to open their ears to hear because we want them to hear as we share the gospel with them. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. And an interesting who it says has blinded them. It is Satan who has blinded them from the truth. Let me tell you something. Why would Satan blind people from the truth? Because his desire is to keep them for himself. Because the moment God opens their eyes and they come to Christ, all of a sudden they're no longer in his camp. You ever wonder why God hates you so much? I mean, not God, but why Satan hates you so much. He hates you because you've switched camps. You've changed sides. And so guess what? He wants to do everything he can to keep everybody on his team. And so he keeps them blinded from the truth. He wants to keep them from hearing the truth. And so we need to pray that God will not only open their hearts, but God will open their eyes and their ears. Number three, we need to pray that God will change their rebellious attitudes. In the book of Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, it says this, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. They have a stony heart. They have a rebellious attitude towards God. How many of you have teenagers? You know rebellious attitudes, right? Right? I don't know what it is about when kids become teenagers. They just find a way to want to do everything you tell them not to do, right? They just have this rebellious attitude. And I, can't, I can honestly say I was the same way. I just remember if my dad told me not to do something, I was bound and determined to do it. And I thought to myself, that old man don't know anything. The older I got, the more I realized that old man knows everything, you know? I just wish I would have known that before I attempted and tried everything he told me not to do. But that was the rebellious attitude, and, and that's the thing. It's oftentimes people don't understand. We can't expect people who aren't Christians to act like us. We can't expect that. Some guys I work with, they would cuss like sailors, and they asked me, they said, why don't you ever get on to us? Why don't you ever tell us to not talk like that? And I said, I can't expect you to act like me. You don't have the same convictions I have. And oftentimes, we will push people further away by expecting them to live by the same standard we live by when they don't worship the same God we worship. You can't expect that. You'll push them away. The truth of the matter is, they won't become without rebellion until they get saved, until their lives are changed. So don't expect them to change because you want them to change. Here's the truth of the matter. Think about a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 4 and 5, where Paul is speaking there, and he says, it's not by the wise words of men that I desire for men. It's by the wisdom and the power of God, so that their salvation is not in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. 
Here's the truth of the matter. I might could change somebody's mind, but I will never change their heart. Only God can do that. But we've got to pray that God will change their rebellious attitude towards him. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and verse 18, Paul says this there. He says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. That's the truth of the matter. They are alienated from God. A lot of people say, you know what? I've got friends. They're not Christians, but they're not against God. They're good people. Can I tell you something? Hell is going to be full of good people. Full of them. It's just going to happen. And the reason being is because here's the truth of the matter. A lot of times it's the people that are good don't realize their need for God. Because they think they're good enough. Can I just tell you, there is nobody in this world that is good enough to make it into heaven. The only way that's going to happen is if you never ever sin. It's not going to happen. And here's the reason why. You were born with a sin nature and therefore you are prone to sin. And therefore you will never be good enough to get to heaven on your own. It can't happen. So we've got to pray that God will change their rebellious attitudes. They are alienated from God. They have nothing to do with God. Now here's the thing. When you begin to see somebody that's not a Christian and they begin to come to church with you or they begin to listen to you, you can know that God has already started a work in their heart and in their life. Because oftentimes they won't want to listen. But we got to pray that God will change their rebellious attitudes. Number four, we need to pray that they will be released to believe. You say, well, what do you mean released to believe? Well, they got to be released from Satan's grasp. He's got them. 2 Timothy 2.26 And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will we got to understand whose hands they're in we got to understand who has their grasp their talons on them we have to understand that he is directing and guiding and leading them and that's why oftentimes they won't want to listen to us they won't want to hear the gospel now here's the truth of the matter i love to go out and share the gospel with people and the truth is, I will share it with people who even will close the door in my face and don't want to talk to me. I'll share it as long as they allow them, as long as they're willing to listen. And then guess what? If they close the door, I'll still go back again. It does not matter to me. They can close the door on me a hundred times. They can tell me, don't call me, don't, don't talk to me. Don't. Why? Because here's the truth of the matter. God has laid them on my heart for a reason, and I'm going to pray until God changes their heart. I'm going to pray until God opens their eyes. I'm going to pray until they've been released from Satan's grasp because they are not refusing and they are not rejecting me, but they are rejecting the God who loves them. So I'm praying that God will change their hearts, that Satan can no longer have his grasp on them. In John 6, 44, Jesus said this. He said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. We're praying that God will draw them in. That God will draw them to himself. Here's the thing. You ever thought about this? You would never have become a Christian had God not started speaking to you. Wouldn't it happen? The Holy Spirit begins the process by convicting you of your need for God. He starts the process. 
You don't all of a sudden look up one day and go, hmm, I think I need God. No, it's just not going to happen. Not with our rebellious attitudes. I can tell you why I started wanting God. Because my parents couldn't stop praying for me. My grandmother prayed for me. She desired to see me get saved. They wanted to see their, their son, their grandson, have a relationship with God. And God drew me into himself. And I thank God for starting that process when the Holy Spirit began to convict me of my sins and challenge me in the way that I was living. So we've got to pray that God will release them to believe that they will no longer be in the hands of Satan. Number five, we've got to pray that God will transform their lives. He'll transform their lives. Why? Because let's just be honest, there are a lot of people out there who believe they're Christians that aren't. There are a lot of people who have prayed a prayer in church. There are a lot of people that have been baptized in the baptistry. There are a lot of people who think they're going to heaven. They've got their ticket, but they are so far from God, it's unbelievable. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you read the parable of the souls, you see there's four types of souls, and only one of them saved. Two of them look like they were. The one that fell among the rocky soul, the one that fell among the thorny soul, but they sprouted and they did not produce fruit. And because they didn't produce fruit, those are representation of lost souls who believed they were saved and were not. But look at verse 8 of Matthew 13. It says, But other fell into some good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirtyfold. Interpretations over in verse 23 of that same chapter. But he that receives seed under the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some 30. There's the idea. The idea is that their lives are changed. And we love, and I, Billy Graham would always end his crusades by having them sing, Just as I am. I mean, I think that's just a prone invitational hymn that's sung all over the world in churches, Just as I am. But here's the truth of the matter God will take you just as you are, but He will not leave you that way. You see, the thing is, when we get saved, when our lives are changed, we become a brand new man. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says that. It says, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. In other words, there is a difference in our lives. So when we're, what we're praying for is we're praying that God will change their lives forever. You see, when I, when I pray for kids, and I pray for your kids, and I pray even for the little ones. And I'll pray, God, I pray that they will come to know you at an early age. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Because their journey only begins once they give their lives to Christ. I pray they come to know you at an early age and live for you all of their days. You see, there has to be that transformation in our life. Why do you think so often we'll see kids get saved at an early age and yet then they come back as teenagers or young adults? Now, that's not to say that little kids don't get saved. That's not to say that at all. Because I'll just tell you this. My first church, I had a little boy. When I first went there, he was four years old. His mama told me, he said, he's, he's saved. He's a Christian. And I'm thinking, four years old? Are you sure? But I'm going to tell you this. I saw that kid grow. I saw that kid's love for the Lord, even at four years old. I saw a kid who lived for the Lord every day of his life. I saw a kid who, by the time he was uh, 12 years old, I would have put him up against anybody in the church for Bible knowledge. So, yeah, it can happen when they're little. But at the same hand, 
oftentimes we can give them a false sense of security, and that's the last thing we want to do. My parents did it to me. I remember when I told my mom and dad, I said, I think, I think something's wrong in my life. I don't think I'm, you know, when I think I was 15 or 16, my mom's like, ah, you, you got saved when you was five. I don't want to do that to my kids. I don't want to do that to any kid. Why? Because guess what? At five years old, sometimes they really have no idea what they're talking about. They're just, I know what I did. I followed my friends. That's all I did. But I want to see transformation. That's what we ought to want to see in their lives. So we pray that God will transform their lives so that they'll be changed. They'll be forever different. Lastly, we need to pray that God will send the right people into their lives to share the gospel with them. Matthew chapter 9 Verses 37 and 38 says this. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know that it takes a concerted effort to see somebody come to know the Lord. A lot of people don't realize that. And what I mean is oftentimes in evangelism programs they talk about what's known as the spiderweb effect. In other words, it's not just one person sharing with somebody that makes them get saved. In other words, they seem to have a background of people in their lives that have showed them the way. You ever thought about how many different influences you had in your life? You ever thought about how many people were in your life that may have been praying for you, that may have shared with you, that you may have heard the story of Christ through? I can tell you in my life there were numerous ones. I can tell you my parents, my grandmother... Sunday school teachers, the pastors, but the one that eventually I ended up coming to the Lord was under a youth pastor. But all these different ones were a part of that umbrella, and each one played an intricate part in my life that showed me what it meant to be a Christian. We need to pray that God will send out the people into their lives, not just us. When you're talking to your one, you're praying for your one, you need to be praying that God will send other people in their lives to speak to them as well. There's nothing wrong with constantly people going to that person and sharing with them because eventually they might straighten up and go, whoa, I think I better get things right in my life. Johnny Hunt was telling a story one time about how a guy came up to him and he said, I've I've been wanting to come and meet you. And Johnny said, well, I'm glad to meet you. He said, why don't you share with me your story? He said, well, that's what's funny. He said, this is why I wanted to come and talk to you. He says, you go to Buffalo's, right? And he goes, well, yeah. He said, that's an understatement. I'm there about every week. And he said, well, I'm a waiter at Buffalo's. He said, and he said, when I would wait on you, he said, you invited me to church. You and your wife, you would invite me to come to church with you. And he said, you invited me several times. He said, there was other people from your church that were in here, and, and I could just see a difference in them. And he said, he said, and then there was a lady from your church that started working here at Buffalo's alongside of me, and she started inviting, he start, she started inviting me, and she started inviting my wife. And she said, my wife and I, we, we went to dinner one night, and we, we sit down and we talked, and we said, hey, I got invited by this person to go to, to Woodstock. And this one said, well, I got invited by this person to go to Woodstock. And he said, you think the Lord might be telling us something? He said, and both of us decided right then God was speaking to us, and we better get into church. And so we were coming to First Baptist Woodstock. He said, and then we both got saved. So it takes a concerted effort of group of people sharing the gospel so that people might come to know the Lord. So we're praying that God will send the workers, send the people into their lives that they need to hear. 
In Romans chapter 10, 14 and 15, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And please understand when it says, How shall they hear without a preacher? It's just simply a herald. You and I are called to be heralds, to go out and share the message of the gospel. It's not up to one person. It's not up to a few people. If the entire church is out there telling people their story and telling people about what Jesus has done for them and what Jesus can do for that person, you'll be amazed at what God can do. But it begins by praying for lost people. Now, I'm going to tell you, I think sometimes in the church, and I'm just going to be blunt for a moment, I think sometimes in the church, we spend far too much time praying people out of heaven than we do praying them out of hell. You might say, well, what do you mean, brother? We spend far too much time praying for people's physical illnesses more than their spiritual illness. Folks, if we are concerned about the loss, because you've got to understand, yes, we're, we're praying for people who are sick, but we know where they're going. We know where their eternal home is, and it's not wrong to pray for people who are sick. But if we're spending more time praying for people who are sick so that they don't go to heaven, as opposed to praying for people we know are going to hell, where is our priorities? We need to be praying for those we know are lost. In fact, some of you may say, well, brother, I'm having a hard time finding my one. Let me tell you something. Just go to a gym go to Walmart, go to a grocery store, you can find one real quick. They're out there. They're out there. When, when surveys are telling me that only 52% of our community is saved and 48% is lost, you about have a one in two chance of finding a lost person. Right? So they're out there. The thing is, is we've got to begin to make relationships with them. And a lot of people say, well, I was told we got to stay out of the world. Yeah, we, we do have to stay out of the world. I'm not saying go out drinking with them so you can reach them for Jesus. All right? I know that just blows some of you sipping saints' minds, doesn't it? What it does tell us to do is it tells us we ought to make friends with those who are lost. We need to make friends with them because here's the truth of the matter. If we as Christians don't start stepping up and reaching our community, can I tell you what's going to happen here in the south? It'll happen just like what's happened up north. And instead of the 52% being saved, we'll have 52% lost and then 62 and then 72 and then 82. And then where will our kids and our grandkids be? You see, we have to understand what God is calling us to do. You see, the South used to be called the Bible Belt. It still is. It's called the Bible Belt. But man, it's starting to look less and less and less like the Bible Belt, isn't it? Because there's starting to be more people. Here's the thing. God has given us a mission field right here in our area. Did you know that? It's always interesting to me because a lot of people say, well, I'll, I'll never go on a foreign mission trip. Well, let me tell you something. Because we refuse to go on foreign mission trips, God is bringing the foreign mission trips to us because there are people that speak all kinds of languages around us that need to hear Jesus. It's not just them. We need to be sharing with everybody.
My, my, what I'm asking for you tonight, will you be praying for your one? If you, if you don't have one, that's fine. But I pray you'll pray that God will give you that one. What's really cool is some of the cards had the same name on it for their one. I was like, man, that guy don't stand a chance. <laughs> he got that many people going to be reaching out to him. He don't stand a chance. That's a good thing, you know. And I, now there were some that had three, four. I think there was one card that had eight names on it. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you got that many, write them down. I'll be praying for them. Man, we can never pray enough for those people. Some of you wrote down brothers, sisters, parents, children, in-laws, uh, grandkids. I saw on there. And I love that because we want to see our family come to know Christ. We want to see, and I saw co-workers and friends. You, you want to see that. Neighbors. I think one of them put their neighbor on there. I said, that's awesome. Because that's exactly the people that we need to be reaching. God has put us at our jobs to reach those at our jobs. God has put us in our neighborhood to reach our neighbors. God has put us in those places for the very purposes of reaching them for Him. Put us in that family to reach our family. My prayer for you is that you'll find your one. And here's the thing. Your one does not have to live in Lebanon, Tennessee. They can live in Timbuktu, India for all I care. We just want to see somebody get saved. If it's family, it's friends, we just want to see them get saved. And let me tell you something. I want to hear about it. That's why I asked you to write your name on it. I want you to come tell me when that person gets saved. Because here's the thing. After they do, and this, this may be why you don't come tell me, but after you do, I'm going to say, all right, who's the next one? Go find you another. So...